Parlev, and welcome to the Armenian Institute's brand new podcast project, Zamazam Sounds. Within this, we've launched three podcast series, and today you'll be listening to the first episode of Discover. In this series, we're going to be learning from figures who are shaping our communities in all fields, from art, academia, music, and more. My name is Olivia Malkonian, and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Maro Matosian, who is leading the way in raising awareness and providing support to women who are victims of domestic violence in Armenia. In 2010, Maro founded Women's Support Centre in the capital, Yerevan, where she continues to work and direct today. During this episode, we're going to be learning more about the work that Maro does on the ground, and also how to fill these gaps in society, and what more needs to be done. My name is Maro Matosian. I was born in Romania, and then uh, I came to United States uh, as a teenager. Did my schooling in United States. Uh, I majored in art history. And then um, at one point in 1991, I moved to Armenia just a few months before independence with my family and my two children, very much determined to be part of a new independent state of Armenia. I worked from 91 or 92 until 2000 as country director for the Aznavur for Armenia Fund. And then uh, my daughter wanted to continue her education in the United States, so we came back to the United States. And in 2006, when she was already in college, I had the opportunity to work for Tufenkian Foundation as a Karabakh director and then later on as country director. And in 2010, together with Tufenkian Foundation and the Armenian International Women's Association, as well as USAID, we started the Women's Support Center as a program of Tufenkian. By um, 2011, we registered as a local NGO in Armenia, non-governmental organization in Armenia as Women's Support Center. And since then, I've been being the executive director of the center. This is in a nutshell. Thank you so much, Maram. Could you please tell me what, what the national support and the landscape was like when you founded Women's Support Center and how has it since improved? In 2010, when we started, it was a pivotal year for Armenia in terms of uh, gender-based violence. Because at that time, it uh, was the first known uh, murder of a young woman that was known to the public as a domestic violence case. And few women NGOs attended the trial. And we also decided at that time to create a coalition to stop violence against women. So about you know, five organizations uh, we joined in and now we've expanded that coalition to more organizations. And it's still working, that coalition. Uh, it's the only one that is very active. And it was a very grassroots initiative, not based on grants or other things. And we worked uh, as volunteers. So um, in Armenia in 2010, all of a sudden became, uh, started to be awareness of domestic violence. But still the country was in denial. Wherever you would go to a state official, they'll say, no, 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 that's not in Armenia. That's a Western problem. We don't have that problem. Then afterwards, they started saying, oh, there are some bad apples in society, but we don't have a domestic violence problem. 
uh, and later on they would say that with some more evidence they said that oh only you know um, not um, it's not very widespread it's of, of, you know marginalized some poor people you know um, they have this problem and we were coming more and more with evidence while we were working in the in the area in the field and i have to say that in 2012 we had uh, in 2013 we had two very public case trials and we, we invited the media to to cover the, those trials and since then uh, the media started to um, discuss or to, to present domestic violence. Uh, it's true that not all articles are the best way because they're very sensationalist, but it was, it was a topic that now circulated widely in the media. And many times we were invited for interviews on TV. So, so the coverage, it started already since our very public um, trials that happened. So the government was forced to accept um, that there is a problem. And also there was a lot of push from the U European Union uh, as well, I have to say, as a, a, a gender issue that the, that the country has to deal with. So um, uh, there was another organization working in Armenia. However, uh, since the mid-90s actually, but uh, we knew that they're not following best practices and international standards. Whereas we really um, invited people um, from the diaspora who work in this field to train us. I was personally trained in the United States and we, we followed the best practices and that is why we have the tremendous recognition now in, in Armenia. There were other NGOs that deal with gender equality and women's rights. None of them worked specifically with cases of domestic violence. But we came along and we, our profile or our mission is to really uh, work with, this, uh, with the victims and rehabilitate them and reintegrate them in society. And I have to say that Presently, we are considered as the local experts in Armenia by the Ministry of Social Affairs and Council of Europe. And we, are, we were asked to train other women NGOs who are willing to work in this field. And we have done, and now we have one in each region of Armenia. And we're working with refresher trainings, more trainings, so that they become uh, very much at the same level with us. And also they, now the government is subsidizing these NGOs. Domestic violence prevention in Armenia is underfunded and it relies on organizations like yours. What do you believe needs to be done at a state level to enact real change within the everyday life of Armenian society against domestic violence? Because we know that it is a human right violation to abuse somebody, but what do you think could be improved in legal, psychological and housing sectors, especially with more women in governmental positions now than ever before? Domestic violence started to be dealt with by women. And they were the ones in the forefront, feminists, who realized that women have a problem with violence. They, you know, they, they are abused. And they started these organizations that turned out into NGOs. And then eventually the government realized that they have more experience. Uh, they've been working for a long time with these victims uh, successfully. 
and they, they realize that it's less expensive on the governments to subsidize these NGOs rather than the state providing services. So this formula works very well because NGOs usually they are much more agile, they are much more, you know, uh, uh, flexible, they, they know where the needs are, they, they're not um, bugged down by um, bureaucracy and formalities. So this is the model that fortunately uh, Armenia is, it was, is something that we also pushed for, that Armenia now post Velvet Revolution uh, adapted and this works very, very well now. Right now the government is subsidizing the two shelters we are running the, the, the only two shelters in Armenia and the two shelters and also the uh, NGOs that I mentioned that they are, they have been trained and work as domestic violence support centers. So in total, there are about 10 NGOs that they are subsidizing, not fully, I would say maybe 20% of their expenses, but it's something. And I think it's a very important start where the government is directly involved in this, in this process for the first time. This is the second year that they're, that they're doing this. Of course, there are issues that they still have to be fixed and we're working on those things. For example, how to best uh, monitor by the state these organizations. So it's a process that we're working on to improve and we have made some strides into that. So we're working very close with the government, uh, with this, the Ministry of Social Affairs, to improve services and advance the methodology of response for domestic violence. Now, what is needed? I would say, first of all, better laws and better mechanisms on how to implement those laws. We need professionally trained psychologists, social workers, judges, lawyers. The support centers also need to be strengthened. I think a, a better sustainable financial support to these centers and the shelters. So this is in a nutshell what we did, we need. However, I want to put things into context. In US and in Western Europe, when the women NGOs started to work, domestic violence was an unknown uh, social issue. So uh, it started about, um, since the late 60s, early 70s, so now almost 50, 50 years now, um, to research, to develop, to understand the issue. And it took so long to improve legislation based on the evidence info, data that, that these uh, women organizations um, offered. So it was an ongoing process. We don't have to reinvent the wheel because the research has been done for the past 50 years. So we try to take the best practices and also adapt to um, Armenia. However, I have to say that at the institutional level, uh, the ministries, the agencies, they have a very, um, not only bureaucratic, but the archaic way of looking at things. Uh, just to give you an example, the way they wanted to know how much to finance uh, a shelter, they're looking at a per meter square, how much you spend. Which, which is a very stupid way of looking at, uh, of analyzing um, the needs. For one example, when they started monitoring the domestic violence support centers, they looked at the financial aspect of things and not at the quality of the 
support center. So they have to be more adaptable and more flexible and, and more understanding of the problem. Unfortunately, we don't have experts in this field. In neither ministries, not the health, not the judicial, not the social services, there are experts in this field. So that's a, that's a problem because we have to convince them. We have to advocate. We have to spend a lot of time and energy for, until they can see. But I have to say that with the new government, they're much more um, willing to um, uh, cooperate and collaborate. Victims of domestic violence in the West tend to have easier access to mobile phones and the internet and can therefore contact support centres in the police more comfortably than those in Armenia and especially those who live in rural parts of the country. How have you responded to this inaccessibility and what more needs to be done? When we talk about the Western countries, we talk about countries that they don't have villages of 100 people in it or very rarely, I would assume. Uh, the villages uh, are quite big and um, institutions are very strong and, and procedures, mechanisms are very strong. So they don't, um, for example, the problem that we have in the city is not that much of a problem. They knew the, how, the people know hotline numbers. Uh, we disseminate quite often. We go on TV, we, we disseminate. Uh, and now we have regional hotline numbers. But uh, in the rural area, the problem in Armenia is that um, the mayor, the local policeman, the family, sometimes they are even related to each other. They know each other very well. And if a woman wants to go to the police or call the police and say that, okay, I'm battered and come and help me, it is very, very difficult because it's a patriarchal society and the men who are in, the posi in these positions, they stick together, they defend each other and tell the woman, you know, take your place in the family. Don't, don't, don't destroy this family. So it's not an issue of internet or cell phone or um, online accessibility. It's an issue of being able to come out of the rural uh, setting uh, where you, to go to an area where you're non-biased. And I just want to give you an example. We had a, a victim who is now a survivor of domestic violence, whose sister-in-law, the husband's sister, worked as a nurse in the local clinic or hospital. So every time she would have a broken nose, a broken skull, a broken arm, the sister-in-law would patch her up and would not report, because it's mandatory, you have to report that it's a sign of abuse. She would not report it. So in the last incident when she was battered, she hit in the little forest that there was there. And um, in the morning when her mother, her own mother uh, discovered, because she realized the husband came to look for her in the um, parental home, uh, the mother realized that something is wrong. So she went looking for her. When she discovered her, totally shell-shocked, she said, I don't want to go to the local hospital. Take me to the regional where nobody knows her. And from there, they called us. Uh, from the hospital there, they called us that there is this case. Uh, and we brought it to, to our office and we did a lot of work with her, of, uh, which lasted for years, actually, in uh, criminal charges, criminal trial, uh, recovery of, of a child because the father kept the son and 
uh, did not allow for the son to come to, to be in custody of the mother. So it was a long process uh, of rehabilitation uh, for her psychologically, finding work for her and all, all sorts of things. And now she, is, she, she has her two kids with her and she's fine. Uh, the rural area in Armenia, it's such a compact unit and that you, you really have to pull outside of that in order to, for you to have some decent um, care. We, we try as much as possible now to activate the local uh, rural municipalities to be able to seek out and, and identify these families. So the local people, um, social services, the state social services, the schools now have to report these cases. So uh, to a domestic violence support center, who then uh, contacts with the victim. Because not all victims want to uh, call the police, not all of them want to uh, move away from the relationship because of children, because of uncertainty of income and other issues. So we, we have to go step by step. During the recent war in Artsakh, you collaborated with Kurdish to communicate and fulfill orders for medical supplies from hospitals who were receiving wounded soldiers and civilians. And these supplies were brought from rural pharmacies to further support the country's economy. And how do you think, Mara, we can best identify and organize to fill these gaps in Armenian society? and provide mutual aid to those who have less access due to their economic and geographical situation? Our collaboration with Quirig really, um, I don't even remember how it happened because those days uh, were so uh, overwhelming. On an instant, we transitioned into a relief organization. I don't know, maybe it was because of the war, because the men left uh, to the front. We had very few calls of domestic violence, fortunately, because we were so, our entire staff, everybody, and plus volunteers, we were all working to, uh, to do relief work for the refugees. Quirix uh, did a phenomenal job because they, uh, we didn't have time to raise money. I mean, some of our uh, supporters send us money from the diaspora, but primarily uh, queries were able uh, through Instagram and uh, internet to raise quite a bit of funds. We were telling them what is needed because we're in contact with the um, uh, hospitals and um, Stepan Agert and in Goris, and we were telling them what is needed. We'll give them the list and they were able to uh, purchase the, uh, you know, as much as possible from that list. I have to say that in terms of assistance, we always encouraged uh, people to buy, that we buy locally so we can support the economy. You know, I, I know that in the diaspora, and I got a lot of, lot of uh, messages that we want to do something. What can we do? What can we buy? What can we get? So I tell them, you know, the best thing is to send the money and we do it here locally because we know exactly what the needs are. We can order locally and it's much better. But people wanted to do something. So a lot of them just sent, you know, collected and sent and not all the time it was what was needed the most. Uh, we did a lot of work with Quirix and they, they helped us tremendously with the materials that we were, that were needed to be distributed. In the beginning, in the... Um, 
very first uh, weeks of the conflict and when a lot of people, uh, 90,000 people came to Armenia. Everybody thought that this war is going to be five, seven days and that's it. And to tell you frankly, people came to Armenia, uh, even acquaintances of mine from Karabakh, they just, you know, it was summer, it was uh, warm. So they just came with their clothes, uh, summer clothes, and then they realized that winter is coming. Many of them uh, didn't think that, uh, they didn't even imagine that their house would be destroyed. So they didn't even take out anything from their homes. At the end of the war, slowly people were returning. So right now they're saying that there are about 40,000 people left in Armenia uh, and the rest returned to Karabakh. You know, at the very beginning, it was the NGOs that stepped in, as I mentioned, and uh, we provided assistance to these families and the municipalities of, uh, in Armenia. So basically, wherever you stay, as a ref- let's say you are in uh, Yerevan, Yerebuni neighborhood. So you go to the Yerebuni municipality and you, whatever they receive, maybe one day they receive rice, another day they receive, I don't know, uh, oil, or another day they receive soap, whatever they receive, they would offer to these people. But it was not sustainable for you to cook a meal like that. So um, we were trying to help to, f- to fill in the gap. And then uh, the government also started to give uh, uh, stipends and benefits and all that, that it's not very smooth, but um, it's, it's kicking in. So the more we talk to people, they say that they, we, they are receiving uh, funding from the government. Everybody in each region, they map out to see where the refugees are and find out their needs. So really the, the groundwork is the NGO sector, the civil society that is doing that. Um, yes, they go and they register with the municipality, but um, the municipality can offer very limited, whatever food they receive or hygiene products uh, and, and maybe the stipends. But these people need uh, much more. For example, they don't know Armenia, they don't know the rules, on, they don't know the geography, they don't know where to go, where to apply, how to apply. Um, they uh, need uh, medical assistance. Yes, it's free of charge for them, but for the medication or for the tests, they have to pay. So um, we need to complement that. Uh, so yes, it's a lot of uh, needs assessment on the ground that we, that we are doing. and not only as other organizations as well. So we're trying to fill the gap to complement with what the government does. Thank you, Mara. Why is Armenia still reliant on humanitarian aid from overseas? And what do you think the near future of the country could look like in a world where these local initiatives are continually supported and eventually the fundamental pillars of society, such as healthcare, education, and welfare are strengthened? Well, Let me say this, in Armenia, there are about two and a half million people. In the diaspora, there are about six to eight million people. Armenia is a poor country with very limited natural resources and uh, uh, very limited uh, income. So I think as Armenians, it's really our duty to support Armenia. Um, Somebody was telling me, well, you know, I'm tired of being a milking cow for Armenia, constantly asking for money. So I was asking this 60-something-year-old woman, you know, 
what can she offer otherwise? If you want to help your country, you, you try to help financially or you, if you can, you help with your, um, in your capacity or capability. For example, during the war, there were groups of doctors that went to Armenia to help with the wounded and they made a huge difference. There were nurses, there were uh, IT people, there were, uh, you know, uh, Diaspora Commission has now a program, it's called ECORDS, something like that, where professionals come and they are uh, placed in various ministries to help there. So if you are a public health expert, if you are an engineer, if you, you know, all, all sorts of things, or uh, even a, a teacher. I mean, if you have a profession that you can help with, uh, I think that the doors are much more open now to go and help. But if you don't have the time, if you don't know the language, and it's very difficult because Armenia's inward regulations and laws and infrastructure is very difficult to understand and uh, be able to function within that system. If it's not applied directly, for example, a doctor directly can heal somebody, can, can um, treat somebody. But if you want to work uh, to improve the policies of, in the educational system or in the health, it's a bit more complicated than that. So if you don't have those skills and uh, time and capability to help out, then the best thing is to offer money to, to support the country, the needs of the country. To tell you frankly, uh, what we uh, gathered during the war, uh, it was substantial, 170 million dollars, uh, fine, but <laughs> you, you don't do much with that money, you know. Um, you would need maybe three, four times more if you were to buy ammunitions and weapons. Uh, you need uh, three times more if you need to cover the health expenses and prosthesis and things like that. Yes, 170 million, it's a substantial sum of money, but it will not create a, a huge impact on the needs of the country. I would just like to know, Maro, what does change look like to you? Well, I think the most important things is a change of mentality. Armenia is still uh, has remnants of Soviet mentality. It's the product of, of Soviet culture. The younger generations is much more promising, but definitely a change in mentality, I would say. Uh, we need to be more uh, progressive, more open-minded, more knowledgeable. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't have professionals, enough professionals. A lot of people say that we have to put competent people in, in, in jobs. It's difficult because those government jobs are not well paid. Nobody wants to go there. The qualified people, they rather work for international organizations where are well paid. And you don't, you don't find people that are willing to, uh, there, there's not a, a large pool of people to choose from. Even us as an NGO, we, have, we, we pay better than what the government pays. We have difficulty finding uh, psychologists and social workers and lawyers who are willing to um, work in uh, domestic violence. So we need um, uh, human resources and professional individuals uh, 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 more, to be more emancipated and more progressive in our mentality. We need to combat uh, patriarchy and patriarchal values, uh, stereotypes, biases, prejudices, 
these are things that are really um, pulling us down. Uh, uh, I think that we have to rethink and reevaluate re our sense of nationalism that is very much based on dreaming, you know, this great Armenia when our, the reality on the ground is completely different and our capabilities are different. And we should move away from that rhetoric that uh, can create more harm than good. Um, nationalism uh, can be expressed in many, many other ways and it doesn't have to be on an expansionist discourse. Uh, change uh, must come into uh, educating ourselves. Unfortunately, at the, the people at the ministry, they're so overwhelmed with tasks and paperwork and things that they don't have time to really educate themselves, to read, to see what's new in, the, in their field. And, um, and this is something that um, uh, it's a problem because we don't have state officials that we can talk to, even parliamentarians, that are knowledgeable. And we need to explain things to them from zero. And, and I'm not talking about domestic violence. I mean, many, many, I mean, the fact that they don't have exposure or understanding of other best practices, uh, it's a problem. And even those who do have, uh, there are a lot of delegations that have been sent abroad to, to see, to evaluate, to understand how things are done. And they don't want to change and they don't push for change. So change has to be something that people want to. They are, they are cognizant, they are aware of what they don't know and they need to know and they need to improve on. I've been very involved with the activists in Armenia who are considered the most progressive elements in Armenia. And to tell you frankly, it was boggling to me, mind boggling to me that you, know, you find an environmentalist that it's very homophobic. Or you find somebody in the LGBT community, let's say, that is anti-feminist. <laughs> you know, you cannot find individuals that are overall progressive in their um, views of things. Uh, there is always something that doesn't make them complete. And I think that that's an issue. Or they can be very racist, very uh, uh, ultra-nationalistic. So all these things are hindering uh, in, in progress and hindering in having an open-minded view of things and uh, evolving and improving. So it's an issue of mentality. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Discover with Maro Matosian. Please do like, rate and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast and check back regularly for our upcoming releases. You can find more from us on all of the major streaming platforms including Spotify, Apple and Google. Thank you so much for tuning in and we really hope to see you again soon.